Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And by now, folks, you know what we're up to these days. That's right. We're staying close to home or in our closets still, keeping busy and gathering every week around this virtual campfire to share some of our very favorite campfire stories with all of you. Yeah, Jamie, I don't know about you, but last week's episode where we shared some submitted stories uh, from listeners and actually one from our big boss, Therese Bottomley, that was one of my favorite episodes we've put together yet, actually. I thought that was great. I loved hearing the stories from listeners. And I think that's kind of like what campfire stories are all about, right, is sharing the stories with each other. So, I mean, I know we've got lots of good stories to tell, and we'll get to some of those today. But make sure to go back and submit some stories to us as well, if you have some. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to those ones, go back in your feed, listen to last week's episode. It was a really good one. And before we keep going, Jamie, I want to make sure that folks know we're still looking for stories, right? So how can folks go about actually going to submit those stories themselves? People can submit their stories either by calling us on our podcast hotline at 503-221-4345 and leaving a voicemail or recording your story on your phone and emailing it to us at podcasts with an S at Oregonian. Dot com. And we're asking folks to try to keep stories to, you know, a tight three minutes or so if you can. And uh, we will share them here in a future episode. And keep in mind, folks, that these stories can be about anything in the outdoors. Big trips, misadventures, funny stuff, you name it, we want to hear it. So with that, Jamie, why don't we get started? Yeah, this week we are turning to another campfire staple, which is spooky tales from the outdoors. <laughs> so we're not quite talking like ghost stories, though that would definitely suffice. But any kind of story that is, you know, gets the hair raising on the back of your neck. Yeah. The stories that give you goosebumps, you know, the eerie, unnerving, generally freak you out a little bit. Jamie, I know you have one of those stories, but before we get there, we actually have a guest on this week's show to introduce. That's right. This week, joining us on Peak Northwest is our former colleague and friend of the podcast, Dylan Pilerger. Dylan, how are you doing? Hey, Jamie, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you. I'm certainly happy to be here. It's nice to hear your lovely voices. Aw, <laughs> oh, shucks. Dylan, where are you coming to us from right now? Where are you? 
I am coming to you from the inside of my truck at my property where I'm building a little house right now. Not bad. So you've got myself and Jamie in our respective closets. You've got Dylan in his truck. It's a sign of the times, I suppose. Dylan, we're going to go back to an experience that you and I had together a couple of years ago now, actually, that perfectly fits the bill as like a pretty spooky campfire story. Why don't you say we just dive on in here? Yeah, for sure. So I think you're right. It was about probably about four or five years ago at this point. Four sounds about right. And at the time, if you remember, you and I were both pretty hot on this idea of micro adventures that this fellow Alistair Humphreys out of the UK had sort of developed the idea of which is trying to squeeze in little adventures throughout your day-to-day life. You know, you don't have, always have to do a year-long bicycle trek through Tibet or whatever to have adventure in your life. So in that sort of micro-adventure spirit, Jim and I agreed to bring all our backpacking stuff to work one Friday, just sort of set off in some semi-unknown direction into the woods. And so that's what we did. We we're super excited. It's always exciting when you're going into something a little unknown, and that's what we were doing. Had dinner at a restaurant. This was a sort of bare bones sort of deal. You know, we didn't bring a lot of food or a lot of cooking equipment. No tents. It was just sort of an ultralight, quick little out and back. So after dinner, we hopped into the woods. It was really, really nice. There was some homeless camps sort of near the opening of the woods. But within probably 10 or 15 minutes of walking, it was pretty evident that we were definitely alone. There was nobody out there. I don't even really remember seeing much in the way of wildlife, to be honest. But what we did see were a lot of weird (laughs) ruins isn't the right word, but there were like these old abandoned concrete foundation looking things or like, yeah, just sort of concrete structures that clearly hadn't been used in a long time. And I'm like, what are these things? It felt a little bit like that TV show Lost, like sort of stumbling into a a hatch or like a bunker that some weird science project used decades ago or whatever. So that was sort of fun and mysterious. But otherwise, it was really just kind of a walk through the woods. Nothing to point to, really, except a, a nice evening outside. I'd say we probably hiked for about two hours. By this time, it was starting to get dark, maybe about 8.30 or so. And we had kind of reached the end of where I thought we should go based on landmarks and stuff that I had seen on the satellite view from Google Maps. So we said, you know, why don't we call it a day, settle in for the night. So we set up a pretty bare bones camp. Like I said, no tent or anything. We just threw our sleeping bags and I think we had bivy bags at that time. No fire. I already ate dinner at the restaurant, so we pretty much just settled in and went to sleep. Before we did, though, I had found a beer bottle on the path that we had hiked, and I said, hey, you know, Jim, we don't have a map or anything. We should point this beer bottle in the direction we came from so that in the morning, if we're confused or don't remember, we know which way to go. And so that's what we did, and by about 10 o'clock, I'd say we were asleep. When we woke up, got our things together, it's about 6.30, I'd say, and started heading back up the trail, and the beer bottle was gone. So somewhere in the space of about 10 p.m. and 6.30 a.m., middle of the night, middle of the woods, completely dark, and we were sleeping only about maybe 30 feet away, something or someone came and got that beer bottle. And I remember looking at Jim being like, what the heck, man? We got to get out of here. (laughs) And we did. You remember, Jim, we started walking pretty fast because it was... It was weird. 
whoever or whatever did that was pretty much right next to us in the middle of the night. I don't know if they saw us, if they were watching us, like standing over us while we're passed out of sleep. I don't know. But it was very, very discomforting. It was discomforting. And it was one of those situations where you're just kind of creeped. We're just out in where we think is the middle of nowhere that no one's going to be around us in any capacity. And then we wake up with the only sign that we had left outside of our immediate camp area, 30-ish feet away, gone. It was super spooky. I Honestly, when you were talking just a minute ago, I kind of got goosebumps again. It's just, <laughs> I, still, it's still, you know, no idea who could have done it or what. If I'm honest with myself, it was probably just some person who lived out there. He or she is like, hey, a beer bottle, that's 10 cents or whatever, you know, and maybe didn't even see us. But if you think about it for too long, you start to it starts to get creepier and creepier. Like, I just have this image in my mind of whoever it was or whatever it was like seeing us. I don't know how they couldn't have seen us. The tarp we were on is bright red. They had to have seen us. You know, we're laying on this bright red rectangle of material. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're completely out in the open and in an area where we're not expecting to see a soul. Yeah. Like I said, probably about two hours had passed since we'd seen any sign of other human activity. Besides the beer bottle, you do have to wonder how the beer bottle got out there. I don't know. I think it could have been a goblin. I think there's like some old (laughs) warlock living out there or something. And he was like, hey, I can put some potion in this bottle. I don't know. (laughs) I think you're on to something. I know that you all put the bottle out there as a sense of a marker to help point you in the way back. But it sounds like it was also something that offered you safety and a sense of security out there. And it seems like that sense of safety is what really was uh, endangered there at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think when we woke up, speaking for myself, I'm sure you felt the same, Jim. I didn't need the bottle when we woke up. I knew which way to go. It was a worthwhile precaution, I think, the previous night to put that out there. But I remembered in the morning how to get back. So it's funny, the sense of security we had sought by putting that bottle out there ended up being unnecessary. But the sense of security that we just sort of subconsciously had existing in the space that we believed to be vacant, except for us quickly vanished. And coincidentally enough, we quickly vanished too. (laughs) We got the heck out of there. I'm glad we didn't have a big complicated camp set up because I don't think we would have been able to pack it up fast enough to get out of there within a comfortable time frame. And I'll just throw the disclaimer on here too. There was no like threatening activity. Like there was nothing to make us specifically believe that we were in any kind of danger, but it was just eerie. It was weird. It was feeling like someone was within your kind of bubble and they did it in the middle of the night and neither of us detected anything if i had to boil it down to a sentence that would be it for sure or like you're being watched it just felt like ooh, somebody was able to sneak in here and get this bottle while we were sleeping how sneaky are they being right now are they watching us as we (laughs) as we compute this and you know like i said i'm sure they totally weren't but am i sure i don't know We didn't get shot by any poison darts or anything, so we came out of it okay. Phew. (laughs) But hey, I'd go back. (laughs) I mean, it was a nice night camping. Maybe the bottle's still there. Oh my gosh, what if we went back and it was there again in the exact position that we had left it before? (laughs) Oh man. Now we gotta go. Maybe we gotta go look. 
But honestly, it was still a majorly fun time. One of my more memorable camping experiences. Yeah, I've got no misgivings about it. I'm glad we went. I'm glad we have this story to talk about. Yeah, everybody seems to like the story. We tell it to our buddies when we're out kayaking or whatever, and they're like, oh man, that's a great story. Well, we'll see if the podcast listeners think it's a great story too. But Dylan, thank you so much for taking the time to call in. This has been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed reliving this camping trip. Hey man, me too. It was a good time. Spooky time, but a good time. Thanks a lot, you guys. (laughs) Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. Bye. Well, now that we've said goodbye to Dylan, Jamie, I I feel like that story is one that might not like immediately seem really spooky or freaky or whatever, but if you marinate on it for a second, it kind of catches you. I I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you need to have like a hook for a hand to be a creepy (laughs) ghost story. You know what I mean? Like, just like I said, that sense of security is really important. And I think that's what makes, you know, a scary story, a scary story is not having that sense of security. Well said, Jamie. Well... I am looking forward to hearing your spooky story from the outdoors. But first, we're going to take a short break. All right, folks, we're back sharing some spooky stories from the outdoors. And while I lived through Dylan's story, that was a trip he and I were on together. I have no idea, Jamie, what you have in store for us. (laughs) What's going on? When you mentioned that you wanted to talk about spooky stories, I kind of had to rack my brain for it a little bit because I I don't have a lot of memories from times where I felt legitimately like spooked out. But as I started thinking about it, this one story came to mind pretty quickly. So this was back, I want to say it was back in 2017, a few years ago in the late summer, kind of early fall I was out there at the Cove Palisades State Park, Mm. which is in central Oregon. It's a beautiful place. It's where three rivers come together and there's these, you know, deep canyons, lots of campsites. There's a nice hiking trail. And so I had spent the day just kind of hiking around and touring the Cove Palisades. And as the sun started to set, I went out and set up camp in one of the two campgrounds at the park. So there's one that's lower that's kind of down there closer to the river. And there's one that's on the upper rim of the park, kind of near the entrance. And it was a really interesting kind of campground because this is like a desert environment. I'm sure you know the area, Jim. Lots of sagebrush, you know, lots of dirt. And this campground was just like lush with green grass, Hmm. which they've clearly grown and cultivated. And they had a whole sprinkler system keeping it green and fresh. So I was camping on like this springy green grass with the picnic table and the fire ring. And it was really nice. So I'd made a fire and watched the sunset. And as I was out there watching the sunset, I was making conversation with all the RVers and people that were around at the campsite because it was in the shoulder season, but it was still pretty crowded at the campsite. There were a lot of people in RVs, especially that were camped out at the sites near and around me. So after the sun went down, I decided to make dinner, have a little bit of a late dinner. By this point, it was dark. I'm sure you've had this experience, Jim, of cooking by headlamp. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, had my pot out there with, you know, my vegetables or chili or whatever it is that I was cooking. And it was pretty much pitch black at this point or getting to be pitch black. And I was focused down on the food and stirring and cooking and just standing there by my little propane stove light. And all of a sudden I heard these rustling sounds like all around me Ooh! i just became really keenly aware of the presence of bodies like standing nearby and i just tilted my headlamp up 
And I remember as soon as I got my head level, I saw all around me were just glowing eyes. Oh, man. Like 12 glowing eyes. And I had that experience where I got really freaked out immediately and just immediately tilted my head back down to my food and thought like, I don't know what that is, but I don't really want to know what that is. And I'm just going to pretend like I didn't see it and keep cooking. And as I was standing there and cooking still, I could feel that they were still right there. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to figure out what's going on with this because I can't sit here all night with these glowing eyes, not knowing what they are for my own sense of security of safety. I've got to know what's going on. So I decided to turn the headlamp off and just let my eyes adjust a little bit to better see, which I don't know, maybe that's counterintuitive, but that was what my thought process was at the time. And so I'm just standing there in the dark, waiting for my eyes to adjust just enough to maybe see the shapes of what these things are. And pretty quickly, I could see in that dusk light that they were a bunch of mule deer. Whoa. They were like, you know, fawns with their moms. They were bigger male deer that were there. And they were all coming around to the campsites to graze on that green grass that they grew there. Huh. And as soon as I could see what was going on, I put my headlamp back on and got a little bit closer to them. And I could see that they were just hanging out grazing, laying down in the grass, taking it easy. Their big floppy mule deer ears twisting and turning. And I ended up sitting down in my camp chair, eating dinner, just maybe two or three feet away from this mule deer who was just chomping away on the grass. And it turned out to be a really lovely experience. But Jim, when we talk about spooky feelings, that image of all of those glowing eyes suddenly appearing all around me is still one of the spookiest feelings I have ever felt outdoors. Well, I love this story because it ends like on a good note, like, ah, what a relief, like what a great communion with nature here. You know, you get to kind of share a dinner almost with these animals, not in a literal sense, but, you know, they're out eating and you're out eating and it's all like there's nothing spooky about it. But in the moment when you look up your world, when you've got a headlamp on can extend only to where the beam of your light can go. Right. Mm -hmm. So you are in your own little world. And then when you see a bunch of sets of eyes, that's got to freak you out for sure. I'm surprised you had such like a calm reaction to it. I would have been kind of much more immediately like, I want to know what's going on here. Well, I froze up for sure. I mean, as soon as I saw them, I just completely froze and didn't know what to do. You know, this is still pretty early on in my camping adventures. And so I hadn't had a whole lot of experiences. This is before the bear experiences or the grouse experiences or any of the other <laughs> ones that I had. So I didn't really know what was going on. But of course, I mean, that time of night, you're going from daytime animals to nighttime animals, and it can happen so quickly, just like that. And animals like mule deer can sneak up on you before you even know it. I can picture this scene so vividly. That's one of the things I like about the story. <laughs> I can see it in my mind. Because I think we've all had, we've all lived an experience of like, even if you're on your back deck or whatever, it's getting dark outside. You've stayed outside well past dark. And you can picture what it would be like to see those eyes out in the distance. How it would freak you out a little bit. So, yeah, that one hits home because I can see it so well. <laughs> That's good stuff. I'm glad that we're not ending 
the episode on too spooky of a note, Jamie. But before we make our way for the exits, will will you indulge me on an old Ryan family tradition of sorts? Oh, of course I will. I love these Ryan family traditional stories. Okay, so we've previously talked about Morty, the marshmallow stealer, raccoon that interfered with a Ryan family camping trip back when... But on this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about a character that continually seemed to resurface in Ryan family campfire stories. And this character's name was Old Bumpy Nose. (laughs) Wait, Old Bumpy Nose. Old Bumpy Nose. Who is Old Bumpy Nose? So this guy is a figment of my mother's imagination. I love it. And instead of explaining everything about this guy, we actually have a story, an old bumpy nose story that my mom recorded just for this podcast. (laughs) And I've only listened to the beginning of this story that she submitted. And I know it's set in Michigan where I grew up. So without further ado, let's just give it a listen. There were three young boys named Joey, Phil and Steve. And they lived in a community near Lake Huron. So they would spend a lot of time exploring and hanging out on the beach and near the water. So one day, Joey, Phil, and Steve decided that they would do that. So they rode their bikes down the road. And it was a really uh, rocky dirt road. And all of a sudden, Joey's tire on his bike um, got a flat. So they ditched the bike near a fence and decided to go to the beach anyway and explore on the rocks and in the sand dunes a little bit. So they did that. They took their frisbee and they were walking down the beach and they saw this really creepy old house up on the hill. And it there was a curtain blowing in the window because it was kind of windy that day near the lake and they saw this creepy looking guy looking at them from the window and he had this gigantic nose and all you could see was his profile with this big big bumpy nose and ooh, they were creeped out so they kept playing and There were all sorts of signs near his property that said no trespassing and skulls and bones signs and things like that. So they decided they probably should stay away from that area. And they were playing some frisbee down on the beach. And Phil threw the frisbee kind of wild and it went up right next to that house with the creepy bumpy nose guy. And... So they went up to get the Frisbee, and next to the house was the shed, and the door was open. And so they they decided that they would kind of peek inside, and the door creaked open. And they looked inside, and there was a big treasure chest. And they couldn't believe it, and they were so excited, but they were scared to go in, but they decided to go in anyway. So Steve and Phil and Joey kind of tiptoed in real quiet and they opened up the treasure chest. And inside the treasure chest were all sorts of neat kids' toys, 
balls and frisbees and all sorts of fun things that kids would play with on the beach, like a football, some floats and things like that. And all of a sudden they heard bang! And in walked the man with the big bumpy nose. And he introduced himself as Mr. Johnson and said that he had lived in that house on the hill for 25 years and his kids were all grown up and no longer needed any of those toys from the treasure chest. So he gave Phil and Steve and Joey all of the toys from the treasure chest. Plus, they got their frisbee back and old Mr. Bumpy Nose fixed the flat on the tire of the bike and Mr. Johnson and the three boys became great friends after that forever and ever and ever. The end. <laughs> okay, so if that's not the most typical old bumpy nose story I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so sweet. And they all carry this narrative arc that's the same, which is old bumpy nose, you know, lives in this creepy old house or, you know, has this creepy property or something that is going to freak these kids out. And for whatever reason, these kids have an encounter with old bumpy nose and he turns out to be the nicest man <laughs> who helps them out or does something nice for them or just is generally pleasant but they all have the same narrative arc and it was a ryan family tradition and as you can tell my mom had no problem whipping up one of these stories <laughs> yeah. just like on command anyway i i thought it would be funny to share yeah i'm so glad you did and i can see you and like your family sitting around the campfires, kids listening to the old bumpy nose story. And it's great. There's like a great lesson in there about like, you know, not being afraid of people who maybe look different or who are older or you have preconceived notions about and they, they might be really nice. You know, I have to say, I was getting nervous, though, at first when they walked in and found the treasure chest full of toys. I was like, where is this old bumpy nose story going? Because this can get dark really fast. <laughs> I think that's the point. So I, I actually I talked to my mom on the phone this morning and because I wanted to know more. I, I don't know that I'd ever even asked her about bumpy nose and how it started and what the deal is. And she said kind of one of the points is that you can't make the story too scary for little kids, right? So I, I'm the oldest of three boys. She's been telling these stories, you know, kind of since the beginning of my family's campfire story time, if you will. And you got to make the stories end up good so your kids don't go to bed freaked the heck out. Right. So <laughs> yeah. old bumpy nose can't be some scavenger who's stolen a bunch of kids toys because that's going to freak out your kids. Old bumpy nose has to be this nice man named Mr. Johnson or whatever, you know, he's named in any given story who, yeah, he's going to help you with your flat tire and he's going to give you some toys and you're going to be great friends forever. I love it. And you can you can just tell how experienced your mom is at telling these stories. And like he said, how natural old bumpy nose just like comes out of her. That's great to hear. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, she's a preschool teacher, as I've probably mentioned on the show before. So for her, it's not at all bizarre to like take on that storytelling voice, you know, bringing in the drama, talking softly, so on and so forth. 
So, Jamie, I just had to share. I think that is a fun way to end the show and know that not all campfire stories have to be a lived experience. It can be something that you've made up as well. Well, thank you, Jim, for sharing that. And thanks to your mom for calling in and recording the story for us here. Yeah, she recorded a voice memo on her phone and sent it in. And Jamie, other folks can do the same. How can people submit a story to the Peak Northwest podcast? Well, if they do it that way, record it on their phone. They can email it to us at podcasts, that's with an S, at oregonian.com. Or you can give us a call on our podcast hotline and leave us a voicemail at 503-221-4345. And again, we ask people to try to keep your stories as short as you can, a few minutes or so, and submit whatever you want to tell, whether it be a spooky story, an animal encounter, or any kind of fun adventure you've had that you want to share around our virtual campfire here. For sure, Jamie. And folks, you know, keep the stories coming. We really want to share more from you folks in future episodes of the podcast. And I know both of us have really enjoyed hearing your submissions. They've been super fun. But until the next time we gather around, like Jamie said, the virtual campfire to share stories from the great outdoors, you folks can subscribe to the Peak Northwest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale, Elliot Noose, Dave Killen, and Brooke Herbert. Many thanks as well to our guest, the incomparable Dylan Pilaget. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 Seconds of Zen. <laughs>